we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands, just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian. I'm executive director of the center. And we're going to deal today with kind of a grim issue, which is the deaths of illegal immigrants and illegal border crossers at the border. This is something that has been covered and discussed with some frequency. The New York Times just recently did a whole large story reporting from South Texas on the local authorities there, you know, finding bodies and rescuing people and what have you. And recently there was a congressional hearing, not in Washington, but out in Southern Arizona, right near the border. And among the issues that were addressed was this issue of migrants dying. And so I thought it would be good to have a couple of people who were testifying to talk about it. We're going to start with Sheriff Mark Daniels of Cochise County. Cochise County is the border, the southeastern border of Arizona. It is always a pretty significant area of illegal border crossings. And the sheriff and his deputies have been dealing with increased numbers of either migrant deaths or people in distress. Our other guest is the center's own Andrew Arthur. Art Arthur, you'll hear me calling him Art. He is the senior fellow for law and policy, I think is his title, writes very frequently on all immigration issues and has written specifically on this issue of deaths of migrants at the border and why is it happening. So, Sheriff, we could start with you. What are you and your deputies seeing when you're doing your you know, normal policing responsibilities? And is it worse now in this respect? What are you seeing down there? Well, thanks for having me, first of all, Mark. And uh, I've been a show with Art again. We've done some stuff in the past. So let me just say this. You know, I've worked this border for 39 years. I've been sheriff for the last 11 years. Prior to that, I, I uh, worked from the ranks deputy all the way up to senior command, went to the former sheriff, and who was iconic when it comes to border security and doing the things he did. But let me just say this. We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of this border. Right now, we're seeing the ugliest we've ever seen when it comes to border security which has a direct impact on the humanitarian side, the death side of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the migrants being trafficked, the migrants being smuggled, I mean, you name it. So we're different than what the national media shows when it comes to the optics of people running to law enforcement to give up, the families, the kids. Right. In Cochise County, which is part of the Tucson sector, which has been on a lot of headlines uh, over the last few weeks, in cards to the impact we're seeing, the Tucson sector, which includes Cochise County, has led the nation for the most part over the last couple of years, two, two plus, 2.5 years here when it comes to gotaways. These are the people that don't want to give up. These are the ones that fight and flight. These are the ones that are ruthless. They're aggravated deportees, a lot of them. These are people that just can't give up. So they have to be smuggled by the criminal cartels. Mm-hmm. They're camouflaged from booty to headgear. So that's what we see. To give you the aspect of what I've seen in the last 18 months, when we really start putting this together on our part, Right. 
we've had over 2,500 border-related suspect offenses booked in our county jail. Now, that ranges everything from murder to fair to yield, drugs, stolen vehicle, weapon violations, assault on law enforcement, you name it, because there's a border nexus to it. I mean, yeah, and to be clear, these are not immigration offenses. These are people violating Arizona state law that you're sworn to uphold. A hundred percent. Let me just, out of the over 2,500, only 136 were foreign-born, which means the illegals that were violate a state crime. Right. And so that were booked in my jail. These are U.S. citizens coming from all over the country to come down here to smuggle, commit international crime with these criminal cartels for greed. It's all about money. Interesting. And and that's what we're dealing with. And as a result, as, as National Sheriffs, Western and Southwest Border Sheriffs, we stand for public safety, which is community safety, national security, and humanitarian. So we see it all from the crime. We see the threats coming to our country. And last but not least, we're seeing the death on our border and the, I call it modern-day slavery of people. This is a horrible thing going on on our border right now. And just to put, include that thought, we usually run 5 to 10% of border crimes in Cochise County because we're a border community. 5 to 10% of what now? Of border crimes. That's a temple of border crimes for my office. Wow, okay. So across the whole border, 5 or 10% of them were in your jurisdiction or 5 or 10% of your crimes were border-related? The 5 10% are what we're dealing with when it comes to addressing border-related crime. Wow, okay. Now we're up to over 40%. It runs 40 to 44% wow. is what the temple of my office and law enforcement in Cochise County is addressing from the fair to yield, the pursuits, you name it, the deaths. So it's taken a big toll on how we handle policing in Cochise County now. Interesting. Art, before I get to you, I just wanted to point out that this isn't a new issue. Pete Nunez, who's the chairman of our CIS's board, and was U.S. attorney for San Diego. So he's been dealing with this issue for a very long time as well. He testified before the House of Representatives 20 years ago, almost exactly 20 years ago. And the title of his statement then was The Deadly Consequences of Illegal Alien Smuggling. So you've written on this some art. Why is this, why is this happening? I mean, I kind of have a good sense of why it's happening, but Aren't the White House's policies designed to be more humane? Isn't that the point? And are they instead, though, resulting in a lot of suffering, not just bad policy for America, but also deaths and suffering for migrants themselves? Those are all excellent points, Mark. To give you an idea, in FY 2022, according to the Wall Street Journal, 890 illegal entrants were found at the southwest border. That was a 58% increase over FY 2021. So not only, you know, are border deaths a serious issue, but it's one that's increasing. And part of the reason that they are increasing goes back to what Sheriff Daniels had to say. Not only are we seeing a huge number of migrants coming across and turning themselves over to Border Patrol agents, which itself isn't necessarily a safe endeavor, but we're seeing a huge increase in the number of gotaways. Those are aliens who enter the United States illegally who don't want to get caught. To give you an idea, back in FY 2019, Border Patrol recorded in its official statistics about 151,000 gotaways. In FY 2022, that went up to 599,000. And preliminary reports that were published in the Washington Examiner suggest that more than 600,000 people already in the first 10 months of FY 2023 
entered the United States illegally and they weren't apprehended. Those individuals are going to take the more dangerous journeys that Sheriff Daniels is, you know, so familiar with. They're going to cross in Texas, cross the more remote sections of the Rio Grande and go into places like Big Bend National Park. They're going to cross the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, a little bit in the boot heel of New Mexico, and a whole lot of California. And once those folks get out into that open country, there's very little in the way of conveniences for them to rely upon if they need food or they need water. Border Patrol has actually put out a list, and I found this fascinating. They've done 12,857 border rescues just this year. And, you know, that again is the highest level that we've seen. But the interesting part about that is that 7,109 of them were in Laredo. Laredo is the smallest sector of the Border Patrol. And it's an area that's, you know, pretty well populated by border standards. So if that's where those rescues are taking place, that suggests that there are a huge number of other migrants who are crossing in more remote areas of the border who aren't being rescued. In fact, heat is the leading situation from which individuals have to be rescued along the southwest border. And this really underlines how the Border Patrol really is a kind of dry land coast guard. It's not, you know, the Coast Guard isn't controversial in any way. Everybody loves the Coast Guard, and so do I. But the Border Patrol really does the same, exact same function. They're preventing smuggling and they're doing rescues. Along those lines, Sheriff, I wanted to ask, do your deputies end up, you know, encountering people in distress? Is rescuing illegal migrants in distress something that you guys are, you know, familiar with and have to deal with? All the time. Uh, And let me just say, whether it's a rescue, like Art's talking about, whether it's a recovery, right. they perished. Just in the last couple of days, we had a, a migrant get bit by a rattlesnake. We went out and provided rescue and medical treatment to get them out of there. We had a recovery of a migrant that died of exposure. I mean, all day long. And, and I say this, and I'll, I think it's important to say is, you know, the federal government talks about inhumane treatment right. for the former administration. But let me just say something. You know, what we're seeing now is probably more humane than I've ever seen when it comes to the amount of death that we're seeing, I believe, over 1,500 under this current administration that have died on U.S. soil. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible numbers. But then you think about these migrants that are being smuggled or trafficked by these criminal cartels. That's modern-day slavery at its worst. Sure. And nobody's talking about that. And then you shove seven-year-olds, and these are examples. We have kids in the back of trunks and cars, and you go 100 miles an hour. You don't think that's inhumane? We go after that. So we're actually protecting the migrants by enforcing the rule of law and not ignoring it, abandoning it, or neglecting it. This New York Times story that I was talking about, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, they were focusing on Brooks County, Texas, where I've actually been. And it's actually not even right on the border, but it's one of the only two roads that lead out of South Texas to the rest of the country goes through there. And so it's an important area of transit area for illegal migrants. And when I visited the sheriff's office there, one of the deputies showed us the binders full of the listings of people they had recovered, you know, bodies they had recovered of migrants. And, you know, in some of these places, it causes real stress because they have morgues. They have to take care of these bodies. And sometimes they're shipped back to wherever they came from. 
Do you all have a morgue in Cochise County? Is this an issue that you all have dealt with? How, how does that work in your corner of the world? We use a regional uh, morgue, and that's out of the Pima County, Tucson area, which is we have like the uh, south of Tucson right. when it comes to our jurisdiction. So we use theirs. And, and Sheriff Martinez out of Brooks County is a good friend of mine. In fact, he's my vice chair for the National Sheriff's Border Security. Right. And what they're dealing down there when it comes to, again, inhumane death mm-hmm. in his county, I mean, he leads. He leaves the border on that and bringing in mobile morgues just to address right. the death that they're doing. It's incredible that nobody talks about that either. I say this, I'm going to say it to you two, Mark, and your viewers, is the fact this intellectual avoidance, this intellectual abandonment with intended consequences is not good for America. It's not good for the migrants. It's not good for anybody. We have to do a better job of uniting, collecting, working together, and fixing and securing our border. Yeah, well, uh, amen. Art. Let me play devil's advocate here and ask, wouldn't it just be more humane to let everybody in? In other words, isn't the reason these people are dying because of our border enforcement? Because that's kind of the subtext of the news coverage and the explicit text of the activist groups, that if only we didn't enforce our border and allowed unlimited numbers of people in, that everything would be hunky-dory and none of this would happen. What's, uh, what's your take on that? Well, if you listen to what Sheriff Daniels has told you and the statistics that I read to you, those are all the statistics from the U.S. side of the border. Those are the individuals who were found, many instances, just skeletal remains sure. on the U.S. side of the border. It doesn't include all of the people who suffer on the other side of the border. Back in 2017, Doctors Without Borders released a report in which they noted that you know more than two-thirds of all migrants are physically assaulted on their way over the border, and just fewer than a third of all female migrants are sexually assaulted on the other side of the border. And when you consider Cochise County, when you consider the Sonoran Desert down there, there are vast stretches of that desert on the other side of the border in which there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of bodies that have never been found or recovered to this point. The dangers that you know we're talking about are real, but the dangers on this side of the border pale in comparison to the dangers on the other side of the border. And there are always going to be people who will hire a smuggler, hire a coyote, as they call it, to run them to the United States. And, you know, Coyotes are very interesting people because they will promise you the moon and the stars when you are in a village outside of San Pedro Sula, Honduras. But once you get on that journey north, you are up to their tender mercies. And honestly, most smugglers don't have much mercy at all. They are rapacious criminals, as the uh, Doctors Without Borders statistics I cited you earlier suggest. We know that rape, robbery, extortion, kidnapping are very common on that trip to the United States. And in fact, Joe Biden, of all people, talked about this back in June of 2014 in Guatemala City, Guatemala. President Obama was faced with an influx of families, you know, adults traveling with kids and unaccompanied alien children, as we call them, flooding across the southwest border illegally. The Obama administration stepped in, they launched a huge PR campaign across Central America, and they sent Joe Biden to Guatemala to talk about this. 
And, you know, to listen to the statements that the then vice president made and to look at the policies that he's implemented now that he's president, it's night and day. He talks about, you know, the fact that, and he uses, you know, one of those inflection points he loves, you know, let me be clear, where he leans into the microphone and talks about, you know, how these are dangerous criminals. And again, that many of them are sexual predators and that they're not to be trusted with anybody's family or anybody's kid. And yet, you know, the policies that the Biden administration has enacted, and for what it's worth, most of the stuff that you hear in American media focuses exclusively, not even primarily, but exclusively on the dangers on this side of the border. And, you know, you'll hear them talk about, you know, well, Border Patrol chased us through or they did this or that, which, of course, is a pretty rare event, except in the case of all those gotaways. But, you know, what goes on on the other side of the border is one of those things that the media talked about when Barack Obama was president. They just stopped talking about it once Donald Trump became president and they're radio silent on the issue now that Joe Biden is president. Right. In other words, the point is that the option here is not basically opening the border and somehow that'll fix everything because people will still make this trip and they still will end up having to work with these criminals. Seems to me pretty clear the solution is consistent, predictable enforcement so that people don't undertake these journeys to begin with. And, Sheriff, I just wanted to ask you you guys obviously work close with Border Patrol either institutionally or obviously your deputies, and you were, you know, work with particular agents and know these guys. You know, what sense do you get without naming names? I don't want to get people in trouble, but what are the agents that you guys talk to? think about what they're having to deal with down at the border. I'll say this, and I work with the Border Patrol agents every day. I, right. I run into them on a calls. We work with them on a, uh, just calls. They help us. I mean, it's just, and one thing I, that's been consistent, in fact, I have not had one Border Patrol agent, not one, come to me and say, Sheriff, this is actually working. I'm very outspoken <laughs> in support of Border Patrol and CBP. Right. I, I feel for them. I applaud them. So they know I'm a very strong advocate for them, but not one agent countered me and said, Sheriff, it's working. You don't have to say anything. In fact, it's the opposite. They're so frustrated with what's going on here. If the federal government truly cared about what their agents felt was working, because they're on the ground, they know exactly what's working, they would do a blind survey, say, talk to us about this, and I guarantee you it would be telling to the American people that it's not working. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, what's the temperature down there now? Has it cooled off any? No, we're, it's been hot. Let me say, we're, I think this weekend we're, we're 90 to 100. I think this weekend we'll probably pop over 100. I know the Phoenix area is up over 100. I, it's just, it's hot. Let me just say that. And we didn't get a lot of rain, so it's just dry and hot right now. And, and these are dangerous, vulnerable conditions for these migrants come across our desert. Right, exactly. I mean, we do a um, border tour every year, and we've gone to Arizona a number of times. Earlier this year, we went the California border, but went out to Yuma and crossed to Mexicali, where apparently it's now it's even hotter than where you are. And, you know, even if you're in a SUV and it's air conditioned, you still need to keep drinking water. And I mean, I can only imagine what somebody, an alien smuggler takes him across the border and then points to some lights and says, yeah, that's Phoenix. Go walk that way. See you later. You know, I'm surprised more people don't end up succumbing to the uh, elements out there. Well, I, I would just add on to what Art was saying, too, is there are many 
deceased, perished migrants out in our deserts all along the southwest border. In my case, we're such rugged terrain, the mountainous area, that we don't find a lot of our migrants until hunting season when uh, uh. they're very populated by the hunters. And then they'll find a skull, they'll find a femur, they'll find some kind of a part. The wildlife hasn't already got the, the migrants. Of so course. again, it's just inhumane. And, and I've seen enough death down here in my career and seen so much now and so much tragedy and senseless senseless behavior by the cartels that were just abandoned. So it's frustrating. It really is. So do you have, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, there's obviously other forms of inhumanity here, you know, kids shoved into the trunks of cars, that kind of thing to be smuggled. One of the other things that often happens is uh, stash houses where smugglers bring illegal immigrants over and then hold on to them and demand, you know, more extra money from their family or something. Does any of that happen in your county or is that something that happens more in the in Phoenix and Tucson, you know, the bigger cities? Mainly in the urban areas. We just see that in the older days when it was harder, the border was more secure, right. uh, there was more attention on the enforcement. Take the enforcement, take the attention away from the border. They don't have to have stash houses out the border anymore because all they got to do is get to the highway, the first roadway, where the smugglers pick them up and they're gone. Right. So, right. But in the bigger cities, yes. And, and I've had people come up and say, these are safe houses. There's nothing safe about them. They're brutal. They're inhumane again. And it's just a place. They don't care about the humans, these migrants. What they care about is the dollar bill and the exploitation of these people as they become servants to the cartels, both in the Mexico side and the U.S. side. Right. So, Art, one of the issues here you had written about, this was about a year ago, was a similar phenomenon, but on the Rio Grande itself. Because people sometimes, in other words, they don't, they come to succumb not to the sun and the heat, but they sometimes, before they even get to the U.S. side of the shore, they get swept away. I mean, some places the Rio Grande doesn't exist at all. I've actually stood on dry, salt-encrusted dirt that was where the Rio Grande would go if there was ever any water. But there are other places the Rio Grande actually does have water and can be treacherous. It seems to me that the efforts of the state of Texas in the Rio Grande specifically, putting these buoys, you know, that have been in the news a lot in Del Rio, is itself a kind of humane act to get people not to, not just cross the river, but, you know, bring their kids across the river. I mean, the risks there, it seems to me, are pretty huge. You know, that's a, an absolutely critical point. It's called the Rio Grande for a reason. In Mexico, they call it the Rio Bravo del Norte because it's a huge river. It stretches for over a thousand miles and you could be crossing you know at a period of time when the water seems low that water gets high very quickly when there's a storm a hundred miles away that you know nothing about and i can remember being down there when there was flooding down there so you know that's a huge issue it's not dependable river the other issue is that many places there are weirs there are dams that you can't see under the water and the footing is, if you don't know that river, you don't necessarily know what you're going to be going across. But the boy system, which a federal judge just ordered Texas to remove, was there. It was, you know, right across the river from Eagle Pass, Texas, which is a, a heavily trafficked area of that very unpredictable border. And, you know, the river in Eagle Pass is actually pretty broad and you can't see to the bottom. You don't know what you're getting across. but Mark, I'm glad that you brought that up because there's an important question that I have 
for Sheriff Daniels in the judge's decision in which he said that Texas had to remove that buoy. One of the arguments that Texas made was, well, we need to have the buoy there to stop the drug dealers from coming across. And the judge actually dismissed that in a footnote. And he said, now 90% of all the drugs, the dangerous drugs that come into the United States come through the ports of entry. And I know that, you know, you and your deputies run the very successful Sabre program. Do you concur that 90% of dangerous drugs come into the United States through those ports? Well, I don't agree with that. And I don't agree with that at all, in fact. And part of that's based on experience. But the other part's based on the fact that look at our current infrastructure on the border. You have all the technology, sensors, expertise at every port of entry. So they're concentrated ports with, like I said, all that time. And they've removed the enforcement component, your agents, and they don't have the technology like you do at a port, out of the areas away from the ports. So as long as we don't have the attention or the interdiction at these land mass, water mass between ports, they're going to be coming through. But how do you know it's not? Plus, we know. We, we see this. We see drugs between the port of entries. But if you don't put the emphasis between the ports, you're going to have a lower statistic. So I think we'd be foolish when you look at 90% of all illicit drugs coming through the southwest border. That doesn't say ports. It's just southwest border. And that's what we know of. And I'm telling you, look at Arizona. Last year, 65 million fentanyl pills were seized last year via a hydostat with 35 million seized just in the four border counties in Arizona. We led the nation in that. And that's, that's 5 to 10% what we know. 90% is going through to get into communities, schools, kids, killing Americans. It's just a sad ordeal right now. Yeah, so essentially, I mean, the point you were bringing up there, Art, about how the um, people skeptical of border enforcement say most of the contraband is coming through the ports of entry. In other words, as the sheriff said, that's where the equipment is. So it's almost like, you know, you're looking for your keys under the street light, even if that's not where you lost them, just because that's where the light is. So, I mean, clearly this is uh, an issue that, you know, is relevant both to the ports of entry and in between the ports. But Sheriff, I just wanted to get a thought from you, maybe a little bit of a good news ending, that you all don't have to deal, frankly, with a river where you are in southeastern Arizona, but you do get during rainy season, you know, these sudden explosions of rain and then these dry rivers, washes or gullies or wadis or whatever, there's different names for them, you know, become these violently flowing rivers very briefly. And because of that, the border fence in certain areas has these gates, floodgates that the Border Patrol opens to have the water come through. Because otherwise, not just the water, but all the debris would push up against it and would actually damage the thing. And there's been footage recently of those gates being welded open and migrants just walking through. And so what's the situation with that? Are they closing them now? Is the rainy season over? What's, uh, what's your experience with those kind of gates in the border fence? Well, they've always opened them during monsoon or wet season, like you just described, right. Mark. So I just heard yesterday and Dave for yesterday talking to different leadership that they are closing them back up. We had a very dry season. The difference between this year and years past is we don't have the attention where Border Patrol watches the open uh, gates. Right. Now they're not being watched. So you had 148, I think it was, along the southwest border that are wide open that just open access to our country. But uh, let me just go an extra step on that and just claim something. There's a lot of parts of the border that doesn't have any kind of fencing or physical barrier. So they just walk through anyway. So right. either way, when the priority is not border security, 
everything else becomes a byproduct of it to include the cost. Right. And the drugs and the deaths that we're talking about and everything else. So is this, and I guess this is the last question I'll get, I'll ask both of you guys, is this fixable? Do you think, in other words, the partisans of the president say, well, this is just something happening to us and there's really not much we can do about it. It doesn't seem plausible to me, but you know, first uh, you, Sheriff, and then I'll go to Art. Is this fixable, do you think? Well, it's only been fixable by, as I was saying, that elections have consequences. Right. They have to have a consequence here because everybody thinks, you know, this is out of control, which it is. But it's not out of control for the president or this administration. They know exactly what they're doing. The catch and release, the open message that the border, even though they tell the people with the border is secure, this border is not secure. The non-political stats say just the opposite. Right. People are coming. It's catch and release. They've fractured the infrastructure at CBP, uh, which forces catch and release also. It's a very well-designed plan. That's why I say the only way it's going to change is you have to, have to make a change in Washington, D.C. Are, are, you know, policy changes could change this, but is this too far gone? Is this something we can, in fact, successfully turn around and both reduce the overall numbers and also reduce the number of people who are dying crossing the border? Absolutely, Mark. And, you know, I go back to, you know, the official Border Patrol statistics for, they only go back to the Trump administration, but I look at the uh, Trump administration. And we averaged about 300 border deaths per year. I mean, that's still a problem and it's still a tragedy. But, you know, when we were vigorously enforcing the border and of course the border was even more vigorously enforced or at least as vigorously enforced under the Obama administration, we didn't see these deaths. And as Sheriff Daniels alluded to, the cartels were forced to funnel those drugs through those ports of entry where we have magnetometers and drug sniffing dogs and all those things to stop the drugs. On March 8th, Judge Kent Weatherell issued a decision in Florida versus United States. And he, you know, looked at the Biden administration's argument that the reason that people are coming here is because of geopolitical factors, as they call them, uh, hemispheric factors, poverty, crime, corruption. Climate change. Don't forget climate change. Climate change, of course. And Judge Weatherell said, no, I mean, You're delusional if you think that the reason each one of those factors plays a role, Mark. But, you know, the reason that people are coming now is because they know that the Biden administration is extremely likely to release them into the United States. As soon as this administration or future one goes back to what Congress told them to do, and that is to detain people who enter illegally or we reenact the remain in Mexico policy that President Trump implemented in 2019. The number of people entering illegally is going to drop precipitously back to those numbers that we saw under the Obama and Trump administrations. This is not an unfixable problem, but it's one that D.C. just doesn't want to fix. And as this conversation tells us, there's nothing humane about an open border. Thank you, Art, and thank you, Sheriff Daniels from Cochise County in Arizona. And we will put some links to some of these materials that we've referred to in the show notes. And Sheriff, I uh, hope that your workload and the things you have to deal with get lighter, but I'm afraid it may be a little while before that happens. I would concur. And Mark, thank you. Art, thank you. Always a pleasure, guys. Appreciate all you do and spread the message and sharing the reality of our border. Thank you to both. Thank you. Thank you, Sheriff.
And finally, I wanted to give you a little update about something Art briefly referred to in the interview, and that is these buoys in the Rio Grande. Texas has put about a thousand feet worth of these harbor security buoys. They're round, orange-red buoys that are used pretty standard in a lot of kinds of maritime security, but then line them up in the middle of the Rio Grande so that people can't get across because they roll. If you grab it to climb over it, it rolls back toward you and there's a net underneath. They're very effective. And they were put in a very high traffic area on the border, and it's basically stopped the traffic there. Now, they're still coming in other areas. It's the kind of thing that Texas is going to have to expand to other high traffic areas if it's going to ultimately make a big difference. But nonetheless, the Biden administration immediately sued to make them take them down, saying that they interfered with navigation, even though there is no navigation on that part of the Rio Grande, really on anywhere in the Rio Grande. And initially, a district court judge, a federal judge, ruled in favor of the administration and ordered Texas to remove them. Texas immediately appealed. And what happened this week is that the panel of the appeals court said that they could stay for now. In other words, they didn't issue a final ruling on whether these buoys complied with the Rivers and Harbors Act, I think it's called, of 1889, something like that. But they said, for now, they can stay in place while the litigation continues. And I think the more interesting question is that one of Texas's claims is that they have the authority to do this because a state has the inherent authority to repel an invasion if the federal government is not doing it, is not on the job. And the Constitution affords them that right. And so I think it will be an interesting question when this gets to the Supreme Court, as it likely will, how the Supreme Court will interpret the phrase invasion, the word invasion in the Constitution. It's in there in a number of contexts a couple of the contexts specifically relating to state activity. And so if the Supreme Court rules that, yes, under the meaning of invasion in the Constitution includes what the Biden administration has engineered at the southern border uh, with this enormous border crisis, if they rule one way or the other on whether that constitutes an invasion, that will have important political consequences. So this the case is, I think, interesting beyond simply the issue of whether Texas can keep these buoys and expand them or not. It's a broader issue of whether states, border states in particular, have authority to protect themselves against mass illegal immigration when the federal government isn't doing it. So stay tuned to see how that turns out. In the meantime, this is Mark Krikorian thanking you for tuning in to Parsing Immigration Policy. Leave us a review or rating if your podcast platform allows for that, or just email us at center at cis.org if you have complaints or compliments or interview ideas, show ideas. And uh, in the meantime, thanks for tuning in and hope you tune in on our next show. 